The following conversation is with Dan Benson. You might know him as Zeke from the Wizards of Waverly Place on the Disney Channel, someone who spent a lot of time in the acting world who has now transitioned into OnlyFans and making a sensation, making mostly content for gay men as a straight man himself. This is a fascinating conversation that ranged all over from what it's like to work on the Disney Channel as an actor, as a young person, to someone actively making OnlyFans content today into a conversation about Web3, deepfakes, and AI as it relates to some of the pressing issues we're facing in 2023. I hope you enjoy this conversation and make sure to give Dan a follow, underscore Dan Benson, if you want to check out his content. So, yeah, man, let's uh, let's jump right in. Folks, welcome back to Zyori Plus One, the podcast that's been hit or miss. After joining Axie, I stopped podcasting on my personal channel, took that energy to the Axie channel, and, well, now I'm not on the Axie channel anymore. So, of course, the first thing I wanted to do was, let's podcast. Let's talk to some interesting people inside and outside of Web3. And today, folks, we got a big one. This is a gentleman that I was connected to on Twitter, of all places. You know, a lot of people say Twitter's a waste of time. But then you get out there and you meet these cool people and you shoot them a DM and they respond and you're like, whoa, it's just one cool guy talking to another cool guy. Uh, we got Dan Benson with us today. You might recognize him from the Disney Channel, known uh, from playing Zeke on Wizards of Waverly Place, uh, an actor for, for many a years. And now he has transitioned into a completely different lifestyle. He's crushing it over there in the OnlyFans world. He now owns his own destiny. And I can't wait to talk about the journey from childhood actor, uh, everything in between, and, and now where he's at in the OnlyFans world. He's also a big Dota 2 fan, 7,000 hours logged in Dota 2. So a passion close to my heart, excited to nerd out a little bit um, in the Dota world. But dude, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for making time for me. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's so great to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited to have this conversation. I've been doing a lot of podcasts recently, but you know, they're all focused around Disney Channel and uh, okay, now like crazy Disney gone wild guy, you know, so um, <laughs> and we could still do a lot of that, which I'm excited to talk about. I, I can never stop talking about that stuff. But but this is kind of a an interesting piece that's been close to my heart. Uh, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Wow. Been following the Dota scene, and uh, you know, it, it's just interesting to have an opportunity to kind of talk about some of my other personal interests that have, have been there for a long time as well. So yeah. very cool. Thank well, you so much. Totally. No, thanks for being here. And I, I can see why that you've been on the podcast tour. I mean, you look great. You sound great. Your backdrop is wonderful. You got a dog in the back. Your lighting's good. I mean, dude, you're checking every box here. I, I'm sensing professional. Uh, at every I, step I mean, here. you see this microphone? Yeah. I've got it dialed in. <laughs> Somebody watches Joe Rogan. It's good. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. I, I was, uh, you know, I was going to do some streaming uh, for a while. And um, I realized like, oh, that's really hard work. Um, that's unbelievable Dude. amounts of dedication, hours grinding. And uh, I was like, well, that's very difficult. Uh, yeah. It's a much so I have the equipment, style. but I don't have the uh, you know the energy and passion and drive to do it. Yeah, well, and I'm sure there's some crossover as well. Um, you know, I, I've remarked on this a couple of times. But one of the things that is fascinating to me about Twitter as a social media, it's one of the most friendly for pornography. Like you, at any point when you're on Twitter, you're like three clicks away from seeing a completely naked person doing a sexual act, and. I, I, I marvel at how well Twitter manages this because if you don't want to, like, it doesn't really pop up in my feed randomly. Like, it's not that often that I go, oh, man, I just saw an accidental dick pic. 
Now, I have to say, my friend, occasionally on your page, I do click on some pictures and scroll down and go, whoa, that's a lot of dicks. Um, <laughs> and I, it, I actually kind of like that. I like that Twitter is a place that spices it up. And every so often, I just get punched in the face with something humble uh, when I'm scrolling through the airport. But um, I, I think that might be a good starting point for this conversation. Like social media and the industry that you're in are at a really weird crossroads. And like, am I overstating the importance of Twitter in this regard? Like in my mind, that is a big factor that makes Twitter no. stand out is that it's progressive as hell when it comes to adult entertainment. I had no idea that the impact and the power of pornography on Twitter. Um, so just to give you the basic uh, synopsis of how OnlyFans started for me and how I quickly discovered that Twitter was like the ultimate resource for uh, and tool for me to to be a part of. So I was on that Disney Channel show. I had my nudes leak on the internet from getting catfished, from being a young, you know, oh, horny kid who, I don't know, who's just an idiot, um, sending my nudes to people without kind of doing the checks and balances to make sure it's actually who I'm <laughs> think I'm talking to but they're clever I will say I they've gotten though, really sorry. good at catfishing these professional catfishers they're they're yeah no they're impressive I, I met a girl talented. on the internet in 2008 and I think back to how different the times were and how like lucky I was to have been doing that back then when catfishing wasn't as popular compared to where it's at now we're in a totally different world like that show catfish on MTV feels like so outdated now compared to what the internet is morphed into it, it's really sad actually it's uh it, it sucks and and part of the reason why I like to talk about this stuff a lot is because we need to bring awareness to people out there so they understand and, and kind of think through those things a little bit more cautiously and are a little bit more careful about how they interact, who they're sending their stuff to, with the understanding that if you're sending that stuff out there and you don't do those things, there's a chance it just ends up on the internet because there's whole industries built around selling that content. Uh, it's called baiting. And there's a whole porn industry that's built around tricking people and getting them uh to send nudes and then they sell those as like you know a type of you know category of content basically right so i quickly found out that my nudes were being sold online so Jesus. you know and, and and of course that's happening and, and this is just as social media is growing and and my popularity on the disney channel was growing so this was um, a while ago because, I mean, you were on Disney yeah. in like 2007, right? That's yeah, when Wizards like 10 of Waverly Place started. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So this was kind of just as it's really ramping up. And so I was building my Instagram following. And quickly I started to realize I was getting more followers. But the kinds of followers I was getting was mainly from people who found that content online and were going to follow me and then really loved to comment inappropriate things on my Instagram that just wasn't set up for that. Wasn't like marketing to that basically. Um, but eventually I got kind of, you know, used to it. And then to the point where I, you know, there was enough followers where the vast majority of my followers on my page were people looking for that kind of content. So, you know, at first it was such a weird violating experience. And then eventually as I got older and more mature and that stuff just didn't have the same impact for me, I saw it more as an opportunity. And then, you know, so I, I started the OnlyFans thing. 
Uh, How did you reconcile that? Because that, I mean, you you took mm. the thought right out of my head. You you went from you you were almost like bullied into it. Your, your nudes got leaked, and then you were popular enough that it created this funnel of people. Wow, okay, here's a layup I can harass this guy with. So you have this like troll magnet of people coming in. But like, was it was it truly just this organic? Like, you know. Love them or hate them. I'm getting a lot of followers right now. I think this is leverageable. Like, were there dark days in there? Or you were like, like, did you ever consider deleting the account? Like, did you feel bullied? Like, is bully too strong of a word in in that context? No, I definitely was very close to deleting social media entirely and just moving on. Um, Like, very close. Like, I clicked the button, like, delete account and went through the... But there was something that I just there was something about it that I was like, why, like, why am I making this a big deal? Like, what about this is such a big deal to me? And I realized that it wasn't necessarily the way, like it wasn't making me uncomfortable at all. What, because I, you know, it it just, it wasn't that big a deal to me. What I realized was making me uncomfortable was my fear of what other people seeing those comments were thinking about me. And as I got older, I started to really question that line of thinking. Like, do, do I really want to let what other people might think of what's going on from their perception of things affect the decisions I make in my life? Which was the ultimate leading factor for me being like, you know what? Screw that. I'm not, I can't, they are not impacting my day-to-day like life. And of course, you know, after Wizards of Waverly Place, I actually went into esports and gaming and made tons of uh, business connections and professional connections. And so all, you know, the problem was all of these people are are blended together on my social media, especially um, when the Twitter thing blew up, you know, the the porn universe of Twitter found out about it. And I, I think I got 140,000 followers on Twitter in like two days. Okay, it's taken me about 10 years to get 100,000. So that's pretty good. All right, well done. That's, a- <laughs> that's, I didn't, I had no idea, first of all, that you could even post nudes on Twitter, right? Because right? on Instagram, you can't do that. You, know? you can't even on show TikTok, nipples on Instagram. I mean, get out of no, here. No, Instagram, they just, they lock that shit down, you know? Yeah. But Twitter is like, they, they are set up for that. And I didn't realize how much it, 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 it how active that community was um so immediately i was like whoa okay uh well i know where to focus a lot of my efforts um in that regard totally and twitter is like i remember early on not getting twitter like when i was in university like before 2010 and thinking that the concept of microblogging was kind of stupid and it, it took me a while to understand the value of it. And one of the things that folks said to me early on, this platform is perfect for industries that move quickly, have a lot of data, and have a big visual component, like esports, you know, fashion. Like pornography actually fits that bill almost perfectly. Huge engagement, yeah. share it's all about sharing clips and pictures and you know, the virality of retweets and likes and the engagement. It's like the easiest platform to share dick pics with each other. That's what a lot of those threads are. Just everybody showing off their gear. And it's like, if it's all consenting adults, then there's, it's like kind of a magical way for people to connect in, in some ways, you know, just the, the platform's really well designed for it. Um, Absolutely. 
And what, what was interesting is I made a choice kind of early on because, okay, a lot of people are posting dick pics in my, in my threads, right? And I know I see a lot of other creators, they don't like that because a lot of people are promoting their own stuff using other creators as a way to get out there. Mm. And I saw a lot of hate from other creators of people doing that. And to me, that felt so uh, dumb. That felt silly because if you're a creator and you're working on that, you know how hard it is to start, how hard it is to get that initial, like, the, the the market is saturated right it's right. just like like streaming on twitch you know so for me i felt that was just silly and i instead turned that on its head and and kind of opened the floodgates with a few tweets of like look put put your stuff in here like this is a this is a community where this is a great place to put that stuff um yeah. share your stuff put it out there like you know i'm i'm doing stuff like this you do stuff like this it also helps me because those threads get more awareness and interaction and uh engagement and then it it's helps like the them ugc they of your exposure. world right user generated yeah. content that, that's like exactly. you're, you're, you're allowing your users to do something they want to do anyway that others are putting them down for that has the intrinsic benefit of giving you great engagement like wow look at all the comments on this tweet you're like hacking the twitter algorithm by letting people do what they want to do anyway it's kind of genius it's so simple and it's fun for them right yeah. there, there's there's enjoyment people get from putting themselves out there and getting that response like i get that too i you know that's that's the thing about being a performer in the only fan space is you know i'm people kind of misunderstand i'm not like i went to burning man one year and i was definitely not one of the people walking around naked right i'm not like i don't i'm not just that comfortable being naked but there's a certain buffer that you get from doing this kind of work where it's i'm in my safe space i feel comfortable here but i still get the enjoyment of I guess I'm an exhibitionist a little bit. I yeah, do like sure. that. And and so I understand other people's uh, desire to, to have those same kind of right. things. Right. No, it, it, it's primal in a way. Um, but I, I love the way you framed that, that sort of coming to terms with, hey, I'm letting other people define me. It's actually not about me and my insecurity about nudity. I'm letting other people control my reality. I, I feel that so strongly because it's it's very aligned with my policy of how I express myself and how I dress, where I realized at a certain point yeah. I was afraid to do this, not because of the way I would look, but because of the perception of how other people would react. And the moment I knew I was being really irrational about it was when I was afraid my best friend from childhood would react poorly. And his reaction was like, yeah, it's not really that surprising, dude. You've been wearing weird clothes for a lot of years. Like, <laughs> honestly, I, I thought this was going to happen sooner. Like, it's all good. Who, why would anyone give a shit? It's like, of course, that's how he was going to respond. And I felt yeah. so silly for thinking he would respond in any other way after he said that. But it, it, you just, society's weird. You know, we, we're sort of primed to, to kind of let other people determine our narrative. And I think in some ways, social media probably makes that a little bit worse, at least until yeah. you you sit down and have an experience kind of like you described where you, you're forced to really analyze and think about it. And, you know, it's like a decisive moment to say, I'm going to use social media as a tool. I'm not just going to mindlessly use it and let it use me. 
You know, anything that's free, you're the product. So like I use social media. I like it. I feel like I get value out of it. But I try anytime I'm like doom scrolling, you know, just sitting there on TikTok watching video, like after about 10, I try to stop myself and go, all right, you're doing it again, dude. You just you're turning off your brain and letting them program you. Don't don't do that. As soon as it stops serving you, close your phone and fucking do something else. Um, I absolutely have the same same reaction. And and it, it you do have to use it with like you do have to kind of bring your brain into it because you're right. It will just like pull you in directions and algorithms are so good at knowing what can like capture you individually too. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's the hardest part about it. Um, so I, I do want to ask about the Disney stuff a little bit, though, to, yeah. before we get too far ahead of ourselves, because it is yeah. so fascinating, right? I think we're, we're a similar age within a few years of each other. We're both millennials. So I, I grew up with the Disney Channel. Honestly, the content a little bit earlier than you, more like the, the smart guy, kind of boy, boy meets world sort of era Same. of, of Disney. Was, yeah. um, but obviously knew who Selena Gomez was. She's a, a, a little bit on the younger side. What was that experience like as a youth? I mean, how do you how do you... How do you conquer high school and like the normal parts of life when you're like a fucking kid celebrity? I don't know if kid is the right word for, you know, somebody at, at your age. I was 21 when I got on the show. But like, so like, it's still young though. Like, how do you? Yeah, like, but I didn't go you, to high school. Oh, you didn't go to high school at all? No. So I got into acting when I was 15 years old, 14, 15 years old. So I was still like in middle school uh -huh. when I started that um that acting journey and i was living in a small town in gainesville florida heard an ad on the radio went and met with a manager started taking acting classes at a day's inn what? in gainesville florida Dude. yeah and wow. then i met an la manager who was happening to come to scout their talent they kind of thought me and my siblings had some sort of jonas brothers kind of fun energy about us and they wanted to rep us and we came out for pilot season and i booked a tang commercial my first <laughs> season out where i just went like vroom vroom or something i don't remember it was just like and then after that i was just kind of i was so hooked to acting as yeah. like i was a shy kid and this acting thing it just opened the floodgates of of my actual personality started to come out through this acting training of once again it comes back to like stop worrying about what other people think of you in your actions like go for it just like be fully yourself and have fun and like my friend has this thing that he's been telling me recently that that we're both on is like be the joker you know mm -hmm. be the uh, be the jester in life and really, you know, laugh at it and have fun with it and just don't be afraid of what that that means. Um, yeah. And so anyway, we got got heavily into acting. And so I started to go to online high school and then tested out, went to junior college. And that's when, you know, I was working at Starbucks and going to junior college, going to auditions all the time. And then I booked a one line part as you know, wow. Zach Rosenblatt on Wizards of Waverly Place. They needed um, a best friend character for Selena's older brother in the show, David Henry, mm -hmm. who played Justin. And they, because the writers on the show, they needed more storylines to, to like make it so that the brother and sister weren't hanging out together all the time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so they thought my character was just like a great fit for, 
to be Justin's best friend character. And then, yeah, it, it just kind Dude, of what grew an from insane there. journey. I mean, that's that's so like organic. Just, hey, I'm going to try this thing. And I, I feel some of the parallels with my esports journey of, hey, I'm just going to try this thing on a whim. It kept escalating. And then eventually it felt like the the hobby that started unlocking the real me, the real personality. And Exactly like you said, I felt like my commentary didn't start getting good until I got to the point in my career where I didn't need it anymore, where I could sit down in the mic and be like, eh, win or lose, like, let's just sit down and have some fun. And that's when it started actually getting good, when I didn't care about failing anymore. And before that, I was so, I needed, I needed it so much that I was always in my head thinking about like, okay, don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this up. And doing that maybe you're you're not messing up but it also puts a really low ceiling of like you're not you're not doing anything exceptional you're not giving your room yourself room to really like try new things and just just put it out there so that's i mean very very well said um and in acting there you know you learn the basics and then you learn imp improvisation right and that improvisation allows you to really put your characters and build these you know put lots of more depth and you know you kind of fill in in between the written lines there and bring a character to life and i feel like you know i i thought about being a dota caster at one point was like trying and practicing because i was like you this totally would be great you you've got the voice no, you've got the I, look you you could totally I could not get have there. because i tried and it is it is so much harder than i ever imagined well play by play can be but you could have been like a i could see you as a post-game interview interviewer get out there dan benson he's big arms. That hell I yeah hell yeah dude a little eye candy you know do a little stage hosting just hype up the crowd you know get them warmed up a little bit now, some, some of the gigs are a little easier than others depending on what your skill set is but uh yeah i don't know man ne never give up the dream i see new talent coming into dota all the time and i didn't know it was still possible so it's uh you know, I, I think I'm going to let that just go because <laughs> you know why is because I think the Dota community deserves new blood yeah. that, you know, that, that lives and breathes it. Yeah. Um, and for me, I'm, I've just kind of, I've crested over my Dota career after these 7,000 hours to the point where I play turbos with friends. We're old, dude. On Friday night. We're retired now. We're like Dota and boomers. And drink beers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll play a ranked randomly and, and we'll all just like, just absolutely get smashed from people stacking ancients and doing all of the right things and like protecting their wards properly. And then I just think to myself, like, I hate, I hate this so much. Can't they just like chill out? You know, like we're just yeah. drinking beers on well, Friday night. Dude, that's happening to all games. It, it really is like chess. I mean, that was Bobby Fisher's big gripe with like towards the end, he had come up with this new, what is it like chess 720 or whatever, where you randomize the back pieces? Because in his yeah. mind, he said that that brings the art back where now it's just mm. become memorizing moves and counter moves. And it's yeah. like whoever can memorize the book has a more of an advantage. Poker is becoming the same way. It used to be this great game of bluffing and feeling. And now it's, it's become so math driven that it's like almost not that fun anymore. If you want to be like a professional and compete, yeah. like all the pro poker players just have a second screen where they're just grinding simulations of like, okay, when I get these cards with these numbers, I want to know what to do and have the math memorized. And it's like the savant type memory people are the ones starting to win at these games. It's like, I get it, but also it kind of sucks. It, it's taking away some, I don't like our, artistic beauty of of these games but it's also 
That's part Except of what makes watching them so pro good. Dota and you yeah. see what the highest of the highest levels are achieving. And yeah. it's, it's the most beautiful thing that you can ever imagine. Like, you know, I, I get so excited to watch TI. Yeah. And no, it, me it's too. been such a part of my, you know, it's, life. That, it's funny you say that though. Cause I was talking to a, a Dota talent literally yesterday is closing down some moon duck thing. And he mentioned that he feels like, you know, he's a high level player, but he hasn't really gotten much better over the last five years. He's like, you look mm. at the grinders and like those 10 K 11 K MMR players. He's like, dude, they're just, they're just on another level. Like they're faster, they're smarter. They absorb information better. Like the needle continues to move and my needle's not moving anymore. I hit my peak like five years ago. So like holding steady, feels like a victory and you, again you see it in real sports like basketball right now if you're on a basketball game and it's just three 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 and you'll hear the commentators say like hey that's basketball in 2023 like welcome yeah. to the modern age you know the game didn't used to play this way like humans are are getting very interesting when it comes to competition both digitally and physically like i'm, I'm actually getting more into physical sports again which is kind of weird i don't know where it came from but i'm like getting into nfl i, I went to one of the games in london and now i'm like Fucking NFL fan after 20 years being like, what? Football's stupid. Like, <laughs> now I'm like a fan. It's crazy. Yeah, dude, the game in London was nuts. If you're at all into NFL, highly recommend going to the overseas games. So fun. Such a cool experience to see football in like a soccer stadium. And in, in, uh, my friends and I play fantasy football every year. We're obsessed. So. Dude, totally. If, if your team is playing in Germany or London, 100% like just go make a thing out of it. I took my dad for his birthday and we loved it. We're Giants fans. So it was Giants versus Packers. I lived oh, with a Packers nice. fan. It, it was like kismet, dude. It was, it was so fucking cool. I, I can't speak highly enough of the experience. Well, I'm a Rams fan. So it was a very, uh, you know. Okay. Well, it's been a roller coaster. No, were, we, were we you a Rams fan and... before they were in LA? Uh, well, I was, I, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. Okay. Uh, I was born in Dallas, Texas. Grew up in Springfield, Missouri, and then moved to Florida for like a year before I got into acting and moved to California. So I've been in California pretty much the longest of anywhere. But so there's some ties with St. Louis, yeah, uh, okay. and the Rams when they're at St. Louis, and then when they moved here. So uh, and also it's just you know California is my home, LA has been my home for the last you know 20 years, and so we have a home team finally, you know? So it's exciting. <laughs> well, now, now you got two, I guess, right? Cause char char uh, is, are chargers LA now, or are they still see yeah. go? They're also, yeah, LA? I, you know, I, I kind can't of keep it straight. Know. Yeah. Yeah. We can't have, we, we had none and now we have two. That's too much. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Full throttle. We don't need to. That's uh, well, you do have a lot of people, I guess, to be fair. Chargers so. fans around the world just hate me right now. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's how football goes. Um, I have a weird, before we close out the Disney thing, though, I have a weird little anecdote. It, it, surely you've seen Johnny Tsunami, right? One of the greatest 90s Disney movies. Ever, oh, a Disney movie classic. Ever Disney created. Yeah, Mahalo, you know, snowboarding, surfing, crossover. You love to see it. Uh, also, to the Mortal Kombat fans out there, having Shang Tsung play, like, you know, Johnny Tsunami's grandfather, I just always thought that was an epic clash of Wait, worlds. Wait, what? Yeah, same actor. In the first Mortal Kombat movie, the guy that plays Shang Tsung is the yeah. guy that plays Johnny's grandfather, like the original Johnny Tsunami surfer dude that Whoa. they all look up to. But um, Brandon Baker is the real-life name of the actor that played Johnny Tsunami, and he actually lives in Boulder, Colorado now, gave up acting and kind of got burned out of the whole grind, sort of 
is similar to what you described. Understand and that. now he he marries people. Like that's his thing. You can go to his Instagram. I think it's Brandon B. Good. And his whole thing is that he's like a, a minister or whatever you call it. He's ordained. And you can go to Colorado and get married on the slopes by fucking Johnny Tsunami. Johnny Tsunami. Hell yeah, dude. And like I think he makes bank just like marrying millennials is like, dude, we I rode my snowboard down the mountain with Johnny Tsunami on my wedding day. And I actually had sent him a DM and we were going to do a podcast together when I lived in Colorado and then life happened and we kind of fell out of touch. But um, I just, I'll, I'll never forget that anecdote. And I remember emailing with his, uh, his manager and then him directly. And he just seemed like a really cool guy that was like, yeah, you know, I'm just enjoying life in Colorado. Boulder's real cool. I snowboard every weekend. Yeah, man, life's cool. Would love to do something with you. That's really cool. And Wow. It brings me, it reminds me of something that I did want to talk about a little bit because you have to get really creative when you get entrenched in kind of culture and kind of get somewhat re recognizable and fame. But what people don't realize is, is that doesn't equate to having money <laughs> necessarily, yeah. right? Like people assumed that just because I was on the Disney channel and I was on this, like this, this cultural rock, mainly because Selena Gomez is just that naturally talented that she made this show, you know, everyone on the show is incredibly talented, but I think it was all, all of us e extreme crazy characters were contrasted by Selena's reaction and just her natural talent. Anyway, it was just very apparent to all of us that Selena would go on to be one of the most famous people in the world just from working with her to that degree. So, but obviously, you know, when you're in front of 4 million viewers a week, that creates tremendous amounts of opportunities. But I mean, Disney Channel doesn't, you know, weren't paying me you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars per episode or whatever, right? I was making, you know, my first episode I ever did this is back even before SAG and After emerged. I think I made two hundred dollars for, what? yeah, really, yeah. I think I made two hundred dollars on my first episode. So obviously, as my role started to grow and expand, um, and of course, you know, SAG and After emerged, and so SAG day rate minimum is like six hundred dollars. Uh, but after at the time had much different uh, numbers. I see. And so, but, you know, and so I was getting paid, you know, enough to pay rent. And and I was able to to quit my job working at Starbucks. Is the argument but, that like you're getting paid in exposure as a new actor? Or is it just because you have no leverage because you have a light resume? Or like, how do they, I, that sounds like, I yeah, used to think I, mean, I was underpaid basically. doing esports commentary. And like, I mean. We're, we're talking similar thresholds back in the day. I mean, 200 bucks is not a lot of money. Well, you're thinking about how many people would love an opportunity to be on the Disney Channel, right? It's yeah. like, it's absolutely endless. So, you know, they're paying what is reasonable there uh, because there's just so much demand to be in that industry and to do that work. And there's, you know, there's 300,000 actors ready, waiting, to, waiting to audition. Ready to if, go. If you, yeah, so... Um, and, and look, I'm not here to say like I was underpaid no, for just... that job because I wasn't. I think I was paid appropriately for the work I was doing. No, um, but I'm, I'm more trying to highlight your point that even in my head, like if you'd asked me, how much you think I was paid in my first episode? I would have said, I don't know, 
5,000, 2,000, th- thousands. Like that, that's the gut number that comes to mind. You know, just hearing hundreds is like, it's very surprising and kind of fascinating, to be honest. Yeah. And so what I struggled with is, you know, I'm still like working full time while I'm on the show um, to try and, you know, eventually I was able to quit my job and, and that became a full time thing as my character got more and more entrenched. Um, but it's just hard because people look at you and assume you're like really rich. And it's it's like, you know, it's hard because and the, it, immediately after the show, it was very hard to transition to getting the next gig uh that's the other thing is people assume if you're on a show that that's that big it's like of course you're just gonna go on and do abc family show next and you're gonna go do a movie next and you're gonna go do this and it was and that's what i had in my mind what was gonna happen and so i was really struggling mentally when those things didn't pan out the way i imagined and i just struggled to make it to the next phase of my career what why what do you think was the cause of that is it like do you feel like it's because you weren't good enough as an actor do you feel like it was unlucky did you have like an agent that didn't get you the right opportunities or like i'm i'm curious how how you reconcile that because it sounds like what seemed like a curse ended up being kind of a blessing in the long run but i'm sure in the moment it didn't feel that way at all so i made some wrong decisions in terms of uh career path decisions so i was living with uh one of my really good friends his name is ryan kelly and he he plays deputy parish on teen wolf so as wizards was wrapping up you know i had put on some weight from just kind of being lazy and sitting around playing dota for all day until i go shoot set and come home and play dota all night and (laughs) so anyway i i'd been a competitive gymnast when i was uh living in missouri and so I, i had that physical athleticism still in me that was dormant but waiting to find an opportunity so he for his show had to go and work out and do bodybuilding every day because everyone on teen wolf is you know incredibly hot and fit and you know they all have huge muscular frames so i told him i really wanted to put on muscle so that i could transition out of this dorky best friend character into a chance of being the leading man i thought that was the direction I needed to go with my career could have been. Thor, so I went, man. yeah. And so I went and that's, you know, every kid wants to be the superhero, right. And play those characters. And so I had that desire to kind of go in that direction. So I put on like 14 pounds of muscle and, you know, I have this tiny head. So it looked really weird on my frame, <laughs> like to, and also just my energy, my essence is, lighthearted and uh kind of i really i probably would have done a lot better if i would have stayed in that goofy friend Mm. character zone and instead i was trying to really force no i'm the sexy cool guy thing right and and so for me especially at that time it just it didn't fit there there was a discrepancy between how i looked and how my energy and essence was to the point where it I just don't think I've fit roles as they were written um, for those opportunities. So looking back, I kind of think, ah, I kind of made some mistakes in how I approached moving to that net phase instead next phase, instead of just like accepting what I did well and stick to it and, and push. But now I look back and I go, thank God 
I did all that because I wouldn't be here where what I'm doing now, like all of those things. So all of these things that I see as things that are terrible that happened to me or big mistakes that I made, well, given enough time in, in taking advantage of what you do have, those things turn out to be the best uh, things right. that ever happened to me, those mistakes that we make. I, I feel that completely. In the moment, things feel like big losses. And in the long run, you look back and go, wow, this this opened up my perspective, connected me with this person, sent me down this path. And without that big failure in the moment, I wouldn't have been able to find this big win later on. But um, man, what a what a fascinating journey that is. I Thank you for sharing all that. I, I'm I, as someone you know, you watch Disney Channel actors as a kid, and it seems like the greatest job in the world. And it reminds me of esports, where the the thing that I would hear the most when esports was at peak popularity, like I want to be a caster just like you. And I would always think to myself, I know it looks really fun, but what you see on on the stream is like the funnest, most polished part of the job. The, the rest of it is is really unfun a lot of the time. It's a lot of shitty hours. It's a lot of politics. It's a lot of fighting over gigs. It's a lot of working for less money than you should because you just need the gig. And all of your best friends are also all the people that you're competing with for all the gigs. So they're like your enemies and your fight. The game theory of the whole system fucking sucks. <laughs> Even though the, the 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 end result is satisfying and like, you know, getting to cast the finals does kind of make it worth it. It's it's not easy, and most people really aren't cut out for it, even though they think they are. Because it there's so many parallels with acting yeah. and casting. I'm realizing, like as as you're describing that experience, I mean that is exactly what it's like to be an aspiring actor. Um, yeah, well, I like how you framed it. Of you learn the fundamentals, and then you learn improvisation. I think esports is the opposite, where you learn just improv, and everybody skips the fundamentals. Nobody knows how to mm. act. Nobody knows how to hold a microphone. Nobody knows how to do anything on camera. You figure out how to do that on the fly, just from cringe feedback and getting blasted on Reddit. And the entire show is just improv. The thirty-minute opener is like, all right, we got one overlay screen, and it's the schedule. Just figure it out, boys. And it's three talking heads with no script, no prompter, no nothing for half an hour. And just, hey, warm everybody up. It's crazy to think about just how unstructured that is and how we used to take nothing and turn it into something relative to the, the real TV world where everything is planned out. Like, so granular, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around compared to the esports productions where we used to just turn the camera on and say, all right, guys, and we're live. Welcome to the couch. Somebody somebody do something. Somebody start dancing. You know, it's that part is really, really polarizing and different. That's, that's I remember, where we splice. <laughs> that reminds me, when I was working um, for an influencer marketing agency and we were working TwitchCon one year and we were helping put together a booth, um, TwitchCon, you know, activity promotion, and we had all the talent come there. And we somehow managed to get day nine to be our host for our Twitch booth. Oh, um, and so, you know, we had day nine and Gillyweed and some of these other great, amazing casting talent. And we came in and, and we quickly realized that the mobile game studio production team just really didn't do any of what we were talking like just what you're talking about they just like they had okay we're gonna do this and this and this and then i don't know just start making stuff up and and of course they gotta fill like i don't know hours and hours worth of live stream time right that which 
Yeah. I have such admiration for how you guys are able to just get together and, and they just started making a game plan on their own. And just, they realized quickly that we weren't going to, we didn't have those, those plans set up for them that they just needed to start putting that together on the fly. And they did yeah. such an amazing job with that. And as an actor, I was so in awe of them being able to do that. It's just all improv. Yeah. And that's like streaming does build that muscle. Like you said, it's really hard and tiring, but it does get you used to that. Like, all right, when in doubt, just like turn it on. Hey, hey, did you guys play that new game? Oh, yeah. It's kind of like whatever. You just start riffing and yeah. you, all of a sudden the time goes by. You know, li life is just one big podcast, as it turns out. <laughs> um, I remember the first esports event I worked where the rumor was spreading that the host was using a prompter and how everybody started making fun of him for, you know, not being able to speak off the cuff. And I just remember having a moment like, I get it, but also, is this really the, <laughs> is this the battle we want to fight? Like, right. maybe, maybe prompters are cool guy as a host. Sounds kind of awesome having, you know, a digital list of documents in front of me. So I have to fumble around with papers. Like I kind of have a prompter anyway. It's just inconvenient to use you know they're anyway. they're made for a reason and yeah. uh, they're used a lot for a reason right well and i feel equal but opposite the other way of memorizing lines sounds like just so daunting to me i mean that's where i i'm very good at off the cuff a lot of times when people tell me you're so great on stage you're so good at speaking I'm like well that's because it's easy when you're talking about something you know really well that you're mm. passionate about and you can truly just speak from the heart. I could like at AxiCon, I could just walk out on the stage be like, okay, 10 minute cold open. I got some bullet points, but I'm just going to talk about like, why do I work here? Why do I like this thing? If you genuinely like it, it's, it's so fucking easy. I don't need a script to explain to you why I like the, the thing that I'm passionate about. What's yeah. hard to me is like, hey, memorize the Gettysburg Address or like, hey, memorize this script that someone else wrote that's in someone else's words. To me, that is like really challenging. And I spend so much time being in my own head trying to remember the exact verbiage that I, I look like an idiot. Like I'm, <laughs> when I have to memorize lines, I am, I am such a dog shit actor. It's, it, I don't know what even the, the word for it. You know? No, me too. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I, I, that was the, the thing I struggle with the most. Uh, thank God that Wizards of Waverly Place was shot sitcom style, which means mm. we would uh, do a table read on Monday. We'd grab scripts in our hands and start blocking it out on Tuesday and just reading through. And then on Wednesday, we'd do full. So we'd rehearse so many times throughout the week. And then Thursday, we're shooting out the stuff with green screen, with magic stuff. And then on Friday night, we bring in a live audience and put on the show and shoot most of the show like that. So it was really like a play. Yeah. And if I it see. wasn't for that practice of getting up and reading through the scripts, and because if I'm just sitting there by myself trying to memorize lines there's no ch there's no chance mm -hmm. that I'm able to to get it down but what helped was really bringing it to life and then you get the muscle memory of where you are and you start to memorize the ideas of what's happening feeling. not the yeah. words yeah the That's, feeling of what your character feels in those moments i like that a and lot. then the words come yeah i always heard that uh, i don't know if this is true but like that the office was shot sort of a similar style where like most mm. scenes they would do three different styles the first one is like a really strict interpretation of the script 
and the middle one is sort of like a looser, like, hey, follow the script, but kind of, you know, improv a little. And then a third one that's like, all right, guys, go crazy. Like, just whatever comes to mind, let's just roll with it. And whatever interview or thing I was reading said that the footage that ends up getting used was pretty close to like one third, one third, one third, where like sometimes the scripted version is actually the best. And every so often, Steve Carell or Rain Wilson just runs away with this crazy idea and there's no way they could have scripted it and they captured it that one time and we're running with it. And that maybe is some of the beauty of that show and why it feels a little bit diverse because it has almost like a, like an agile approach to script writing where they recognize there's some moments where they get it and other moments where the writers get it. And it's, it's blending those together. That really makes the magic. That's so cool. And what, and obviously that's one of my like favorite shows of all time. Uh, because you're right. They, the way they were able to capture the subtleties of the interactions and then also these massive unbelievable moments of magic that, that you know just happened yeah. from those talented actors being together playing in that playground of use of those characters together and and they did some stunts where they would play tricks on people live like i think the 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 episode when Michael is leaving, maybe not when he actually leaves, when he announces it, and they they sing that song, the Rent song, but they redo the lyrics for Michael. You know, I watched Die Hard however many times or whatever. Yeah, that Steve Carell didn't know that that was going to happen. The cast wow. did that. So like when you watch that scene back, and he's in the front and he starts tearing up and crying, like that shit's real. You know, oh, that yeah. was like, hey, you're leaving the show in real life. Your character's also leaving the show in our fantasy world, and that's like, oh. My a little bit of a fourth wall type moment where they bridge realities and you wouldn't know if you didn't know, but it's a great, if you know, you know, kind of moment. Every time I watch that scene, there's a little part of me that's just like, Oh God, this that's is Hollywood so cool. at its finest. You know, <laughs> never again will we have a show like this. I'm, I'm a huge office fan. It's probably my favorite show of all time. I, I it really is. I, I hate really how much well. I like it. That's how I describe to people. It's, <laughs> I think every year I just watch the whole show yeah. all the way through just to feel those feelings. It, it's the most rewatchable show that I've, I've ever engaged with for sure. I don't know what it is about it. Just over, you know, I've watched parks and rec a lot of times, but the office yeah. is on a, on another level. Um, so, all right. I want to ask you about only fans a little bit. And I want to, I want to make sure I have my, my facts straight here. Cause I, I did not subscribe to your content to do the full deep dive. Like I, I considered doing, um, but I noticed on your OnlyFans profile, it says pretty clearly that that you're straight. And from what I saw just anecdotally on Twitter, I it seems like your audience is is largely men. Is, is that is that true? Is that an I don't know if you know the breakdown, but it seems like you have a lot of male subscribers. Yeah, I'd say ninety percent of my subscribers are gay men. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just so curious about that dynamic of like. You're a straight guy making pornographic content for gay men. H how does that feel? How does that work? Like, are there are there any oddities in that system that, like, we as an outsider might be strange? Is it just awesome? You know, like most of my anecdotal experiences with the gay community have been very positive and supportive, and like they're great patrons. And when they're your fan, they're seriously fans. So I, I'm so curious about this dynamic, man. It it took a while for me to kind of get used to that uh but i mean i had those years of conditioning basically through <laughs> social media comments and but really once i kind of uh once i just kind of said why am i like just because i'm straight doesn't mean i can't 
create content for a target audience. And so I, you know, I'm trying to be careful because I want everyone to know that like, yes, I am straight still. And there's, I'm going to make content for my audience that I know they are going to like, but that's going to be only to an extent that I feel good about what I'm doing and I feel comfortable. And that, you know, cause you see all these stories about porn actors and actresses going really deep and just going as far as, you know, and usually it's producers that are setting things up and saying, we're going to shoot this and you're going to do that. Well, in the OnlyFans world, it's like, I'm, I'm in the director, I'm the actor, I'm the producer. I'm, you know, so I have full creative control over every aspect of, of this. So yes, I know my target audience and I create content that I hope that speaks to them and does speak to them to, to the point where it's like, this is the stuff that I'm comfortable with that I enjoy doing. And I know most of you will really enjoy watching. There will be, and there always is a pull, and I have to be careful because it's, you know, you always want to be creating new stuff and exciting stuff to keep the momentum going. But at the same time, it's there, there's an extent at which you can go too far. And I have crossed the line a little bit in terms of some things I, I, I shot and put out there that I'm like, well, looking back, I didn't feel great about that one. So I'm going to pull back and go back to where I feel good again. And, you know, sometimes we don't know where those lines are. And so we have to you cross it and then that's bit. how you know you crossed it. Yeah. And when you say like, not great, do you mean like looking at it? You're like, this is like too much of me that I'm revealing or like you're not pleased with the aesthetics of it? Or I guess I'm curious. No, it's more that I was doing things more just to please the because audience. Other, because they wanted it. Mm, uh, okay. Not as much that I enjoyed having fun making it you know, and this is a job for me, you know, like I'm, I, I work out every single day. I take photos every single day. I shoot videos every single day. And I'm, you know, it's what a, a lot of, it's a grind, but I treat it like a job and I, I take it seriously. And people are paying money to subscribe to my content. They expect a certain thing that I'm, you know, a lot of former celebrity that have jumped into OnlyFans it almost feels like they're they're bait and switching people with like, oh, I'm doing OnlyFans, and then that there's there's a certain amount of expectation that people have when they go to see an OnlyFans. I want just wanted to make sure that when people subscribe to my OnlyFans in from that community, they're getting what they think they're gonna get. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's like you know you 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 gotta you gotta be really paying attention to how it feels as you're creating sure. it. And when, when you feel like, well, I didn't, I didn't enjoy making that and putting that out there. I didn't feel great about that because that's not real me. That's, you know, anyway, there's yeah. just some things that make you more uncomfortable than others, depending no, on, that's, you know, I mean, it, it's certainly admirable to make sure you stay dedicated to like, Hey, I'm comfortable with my content. I'm comfortable with what I'm because like, it translates onto camera, I think is, is part of, part of that energy. Um, you do just, just solo stuff, right? Do, do you do anything with other people? Like I, I guess, I don't know how to frame this question exactly. Like as a young, when I was like 18 and kind of like getting, seeing porn for the first time, I always used to think like, man, how does Ron Jeremy survive? Like, yeah, how do you, 
how is it feasible to have sex all day, every day? And it turns out it's kind of not. It's really rough on your heart, and you can't take Viagra every day without having pretty serious heart you know, health implications and all this kind of stuff. But I think for a long time, people generally thought that the solo thing is just, it's not appealing enough. It's not exciting enough. Like, that you need the interaction. And I guess maybe the internet and all, like, these platforms have just changed that paradigm completely. I guess what I'm bumbling to ask is, do you see that as a limiting factor, being a solo guy instead of someone that's, whatever the, the verbiage is, doing it is It is stuff? a limiting factor. And that's one of the things I was, you know, kind of talking about. It's like, I know I could make a lot bigger splash by jumping in. I mean, I mean, I, I'd probably be a whole lot more successful if I was just like, well, I'm going to do gay porn now. Let's do it. Uh, but, you know, that's not the right decision for me as a person. Yeah. And that, also, that's not true. Like, that's not real to me. It would just be so... And it would be so unfun to force that. <laughs> that's not an oh, easy would, thing to it force. It would just not be good, right? It just... Yeah. It, it would be... And I just... I, I'm I understand that, and I'm honest with my audience that like this is what I'm comfortable with at this point. This is this um, is it. Yeah, you're and not... this is this is what you're gonna get at this point. But I am still looking for and paying attention to how it feels. And yeah, I would like to get to know more performers in the space uh, of people that I would be excited to shoot with and create content with and see how that mm -hmm. uh, resonates with my audience. But at the same time, it's. I, I want to be also cautious because I want, I don't know, I want to fall in love at some point. I want to have, sure. you know, some sort of love life that's outside of the OnlyFans world. And I, I do worry about finding the perfect person that, you know, loves me for me and no, understands that I am a different person than an online persona, mm. To you know, and I worry about finding the perfect person and then not having them accept me for this really strange job where I put my intimacy out there in the world. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, you can only have that once again, you can't have that control yeah. what decisions you make in your life that are right for you that, that, that I, are helping. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the honesty. And I, I think that's like, we need more of that in the world, both in pornographic environments and, and non-pornographic environments. Just the ability to state straight up, hey, I'm straight. I'm doing stuff for mostly a gay audience. This is my, here's my zone of comfort, and I'm staying in this lane. Take it or leave it. Like, it, it is what it is. I think there's something really beautiful and powerful there. You know, I've struggled with that a little bit anecdotally dating, where since I started wearing dresses, most people assume that I'm gay, which is... Mm -hmm. I understand it's not offensive. It's just as someone who's mostly trying to date women, the pursuit has been made much more challenging by people just assuming that I'm gay. And yeah. I also find it a little bit cringe to just walk up to attractive women and be like, hi, I'm Andrew. I'm straight, by the way. I just like wearing dresses. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to insert it into conversations. And I don't want people to think I'm thirsty, but I just want people to know. I just want them to know the situation of like, hi, I'm a dude. I'm mostly attracted to, you know, other hetero women. I wear dresses. I get that I look a little bit different. I'm hope hopefully I can find somebody that will accept me for me, but it's hard to proactively bring that up, you know? Like I it yeah. it's, it is one of the least interesting things about me, but it's also frustrating that 99% of the people perceive me as something different 
than what I actually am, even though I totally understand why. And it seems societally justified, you know, like we, we all do it. Um, I, I just I can empathize with a, a lot of what you're saying. And it, it's cool that you do that. You know, I think a lot of other people in your situation would probably be tempted to go the opposite route and pretend to be gay for the character to, you know, ham it up or under the guise of trying to build it up and make it more extreme and dangle the carrot. So I, I don't know. I, that's very admirable. I, I really appreciate your, your straight up approach to life in general, I guess, not, not just your, uh, your online persona. Yeah. But the other side of that too, is I, I am comfortable in, okay, obviously as part of an OnlyFans, the interaction is where a lot of the enjoyment comes from. And I totally get that, right? There's, you know, I've been single for, I don't know, six, seven years or something now in terms of like, yeah, I've had flings here and there and, and shorter term relationships, but in terms of a long, stable relationship, it's been a long time. And so I know that feeling of longing for connection that's real, the just some sort of connection that, you know, this creation of intimacy. And, and for me, I think OnlyFans is an outlet for people to kind of get get a, a feeling of that and, and and capture just a little bit of the feeling to be able to keep going in life because we all need love. We all need to feel love and connected. And, um, you know, especially when expressing our sexuality, it really helps to have that connection there. So I understand also that my OnlyFans is a service to help get people through those tough times when they're fi working on finding their person and they're by themselves and we have to live independently and and not rely on anyone else for love. But man, it still does feel good to have that connection. So I, I still, I'm really cognizant that what I am comfortable doing is, you know, in messages and other things, letting people send me stuff. Okay, it's not my preferred thing, but this is my job. And I, I like, I appreciate these people and they're, they're, they're taking their time to support me. And I do my best to connect with each one of them uh, on a personal level to help them yeah. feel that connection to, to make it so that like it's worthwhile. Right. Yeah, totally. Dude, you, you have a very empathic energy. Like what you just described is like, it seems like you are kind of a good fit for this because it seems like you get some kind of innate pleasure out of connecting with people. And like there's part of the value of this service, as you just said, is, is making people feel connected. And that's, that's cool, man. Like it, it's obvious it's more than just a way for you to make a few bucks where it's this like system where, yeah, sure, I get paid, but also like you get to do something that you enjoy that in general is a net benefit, right? It, it makes people feel less lonely and all that. Um, I'm, I, I, you know, the last part of this conversation, I wanted to transition to a little bit of like Web3 kind of like AI type stuff because it, it is now becoming relevant to your industry, um, especially. I've said for a while that I think one of the great use cases for Web3 from like a financial perspective is for folks in the adult entertainment industry. It's one of the most unfairly discriminated against industries from a fintech perspective. Can't mm. use PayPal, can't use Stripe, can't use all of these regular financial rails. A ton of people have to pay crazy, you know, 10, 20% commission fees to have a bank account in the Caymans or some other crazy unregulated area where your account might get rugged. Um, have you experienced any of that? Like, has that been challenging for you where like, I don't know if OnlyFans is considered legitimate enough now where you can use some of those traditional payment rails. Like, do you see Web3 and Bitcoin as a potential solution for like your vertical specifically? Uh, I definitely think that there 
there's plenty of room for application in that in, in this world. I think luckily for OnlyFans and for me as a content creator on OnlyFans, they've gotten so big and so entrenched in popular culture. And let's be real, the amount of money flowing through OnlyFans is enough to where you can't deny it, right? Eventually you get too big where the banks are just like, okay, well, it's still we don't really have a choice anymore now, do we? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when you, you hear and see how much some of the top performers in the space are doing, I mean, it is unfathomable amounts of money for uh, some of these successful creators, but also just the platform in general. I mean, it's just, it's a massive, massive platform now. And uh, so, you know, it seems to me that the traditional uh, financial avenues have opened up for them in particular, but there's so many more platforms. And, it, you know, what we need is more competition in the space um, because, you know, we're talking about platform fees and, and anytime you have competition in those kind of spaces, it, it kind of works out better for everybody. You get better products. Uh, from the platform side, they they develop more innovative, awesome platforms for that kind of content. And on the creator side, we get more competitive um, rates in terms of how much we're paying in terms of platform fees, and it opens up more avenues. But and also like there's all sorts of different monetization abilities that these creators need to have because they're not all as fortunate as me to come from a Disney Channel show right? They need to be very creative. And to get started in OnlyFans, it's it's a it's about marketing yourself. And it's a full time marketing job really is what you're doing. You're just a uh, you own your own business and you the product you market is yourself. Um, yep. But they need ability to monetize all sorts of different things to stay afloat as you're getting started. Um, so I, I really hope that there are more Web3 uh avenues that open up to them to monetize their products yeah that's uh that's pretty well said i've heard some smart people on twitch before say hey man your problem is not that you make bad content it's that you suck at marketing it and i think that's true for probably like 99 percent of people streaming on twitch right it's not that your content is actually that much worse than anyone else who's popular it's like nobody knows who you are and now doing the same is no longer good enough to bring in an audience you've got to do something different or stand out in some way to get to be seen for the first time for people to give you that chance and it's this kind of chicken and egg thing i it, it's there, there's no no one size fits all solution to that that thing people just know? assume if you make good content that the audience will come and it's and now nowadays it's, it's too saturated yeah. it's you 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 can't rely on that it's all about I mean, it goes back to marketing basics 101. And and luckily for me, I, I spent many years doing marketing and pitching, uh, specifically influencer marketing. And, and I was part of an agency that was part of the first wave of people helping Twitch creators get uh, brand deals. And mm. as YouTube was established and like uh, an influencer marketing Goliath, Twitch was still in its infancy of developing that uh and those creators to be able to monetize like that so i was at the forefront of that from the agency side as working you know and helping pitch talent and i was the one kind of putting together packages to pitch you know i was so entrenched in twitch i knew what brands 
matched well with what creators, which creators were brand safe for certain brands. Mm -hmm. So I spent years training and learning how to do that for other people. And so it's great now that I can just put that kind of knowledge to use directly for myself. Yeah. Absolutely. But a lot of creators, they just, they don't know that stuff. Like there's no way for them to, to know any of that. It's, it's not it's something really you would difficult. intrinsically know. And it's, it's actually not that much fun, right? Like creators want to create, they want to do the creative part. And in the real world, generally that's where like you do the art and then you hire a PR person or a marketing person who's an expert at doing that. And they help you market it so that you can focus on being the creative. But in this new creator world, like as you said earlier, it's full stack. You know, even in esports, I'm the producer, I'm the host, I'm the in-game observer. Like it, it's a one-man show making that entire broadcast happen. That's that's like unprecedented. Back back in the day, it was a team of 50 people to be able to do that. And now we've distilled it into one person with a keyboard and mouse that can do it anywhere in the world with an internet connection. It's it's kind of bananas to think where we're going to be a few more decades from now when AI can, you know, when it's OBS.ai and you hit go live mm. and it just does the production for you. You know, like I don't yeah. even have to do camera switching anymore because the AI will do it better and faster than, you know, it'll know when we're about to speak based on our facial reactions. You know, like it'll see me open my mouth and start to cut ahead of time. Like AI will just do it better than than I can do it in real time. Um, and speaking of AI, one of the last big questions I wanted to ask you about, because it's at this intersection of everything we've talked about, Twitch and, you know, this, this AI future and also, you know, pornographic content, the deep fake stuff, specifically mm. like the, the big thing with Pokimane that was in the news uh, maybe a month ago, a few weeks ago, um, this notion of, you know, the ethics around creating deep fake content without someone's consent and then making pornographic content out of it. You know, like taking my face and putting it on a pornographic body and, you know, the realism that can now come along with deep fakes, uh, that's opened up a really fascinating conversation. And I think most folks are agreeing that th there's an ethical boundary there where, okay, that's not okay. Where like we're entering this phase now where we're able to monetize other people's likeness through AI generated stuff that's created anonymously on the internet. We all agree it's scary, but my brain jumps to, okay, how do we police it though? How do we stop it? Because all this is, the tools are just prolific on the internet. You know, it's, it's a tool and it's out there. As long as AI is out there, people can generate this stuff. So I, you know, I, that's a very weird sort of open-ended question, but I'd love to just hear your thoughts on this as somebody in the industry. Well, it directly, you know, resonates with me directly because, uh, people have been splicing my face and David Henry's face together on gay porn since wizards was a thing. Right. So that like, this isn't a new concept where you take someone's identity and put it into porn. We just happen to have the technology now to make it so that, Oh, Oh God, it, it, it looks, looks almost real. It looks yeah. really real now. And so, but to me, I, I, I you know, like you're saying, what what's to be done about that? It's just human nature that people, once they have those tools, and there's a reason why the first application for any new technology usually is porn. Yeah. And then porn kind of leads the way for all of these other use cases yeah. in in critical new technology. I don't know. I just imagine the first photographs and video cameras were developed so that, you know, porn could be made, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And I, there's, there's plenty of examples of that that I'm not smart enough to remember, uh, but I know that they're there. But so it's like, this is just a natural state. If there's any character in the public space, no matter how weird the character is or how not 
like sexualize the character is at all. There's porn of it. Yeah. On the internet. That's just the reality. Is that of rule it. 42 or whatever. If it's on the yeah, internet, yeah. then there's some sexualized version of it. I mean, it it's kind of true. And it maybe it is just the dark side of human nature. I have these kind of discussions with people all the time with Web3 and crypto. And I, I always come back to this like, it's a tool and you can do good things with tools and bad things with tools. I have a hammer. I can hit you in the head with it and do a, lo a lot of damage or we can build a house with it. It's not the hammer's fault what we decide to do with this tool. It's an inanimate object. The smart contracts and block the, the blockchain is not inherently good or bad. It's, it's just a tool. AI yeah. is... Well, all right, this one's a little different. It could be inherently bad if <laughs> it, it uh, you know, runs amok and we hit a singularity and all that kind of stuff. So maybe AI, you, you can't compare it exactly, but it, it still maybe fits within that, that framework a little bit. I see it more as a tool, and humans will use tools for bad, and we're also going to use tools for good. And the goal as a society, as, as a people, as a humanity, is to get net benefit out of these tools, is to try to make sure that more good is created than harm all things equal and and there's so much good that yeah that's going to come from it as well but i i think we do need to police it right there for sure that, i'm not saying that like just because it's a natural state like it's going to be there doesn't mean that we need to absolutely Let's put guardrails uh, one, on the damn thing you know Let's put guardrails <laughs> like they, that's their likeness right what we're talking about is using someone's likeness yeah. and uh that from a legal perspective is grounds for Sure. uh suits and all sorts of things i think your digital likeness is just you know one of my best friends uh courtney hope was in a game called control she was the main protagonist in a game called control and what was cool about that was they used her entire likeness her voice mm. but also her face her like they screen captured everything so she was actually in that game um and so you know obviously she's going to get paid in royalties based on her use in that video game and and so you know there's no difference between her being a motion capture 3d animated model that's her exact likeness and what i see people using ai to splice your face into pornographic content i think once that you know that's your face that's your intellectual property in terms of your likeness and, and the suits and other things and tools need to be, you know, the same tools that allow AI to be put on there, allow AI to be able to scan and analyze that content for copyright protection purposes True. as well. It, yeah, so those two yeah. need to, to go together and grow at the same rate, and then we'll be okay. No, that that's a, a really great perspective. I, I like that a lot, that it, it kind of grows on both sides where the AI... It's AI fighting AI, the, the good one and the bad one. You know, sort of Terminators, right? We got good Terminators and bad Terminators, and they're using the same technology to fight each other. Um, yeah, the AI wars, dude. It's going to get really The AI wars are coming. It makes me wonder if it's there's. it opens up some legitimacy to, you know, I know like KYC and identity privacy stuff isn't that popular with Web3, but I feel like we're inevitably rushing towards this digital future where your digital thumbprint is going to become key where there's going to be so much noise, so much 
AI-generated content out there that the only stuff we'll care about are the things that are signed by the thumbprint. Well, whatever mechanism mm -hmm. that, whether it's a blockchain thing or a government-issued right. thing, someone is going to come up with a mechanism, and it will hit this network effect where you'll know that when you see my Twitter that it's connected to my proof of humanity thing and that that's actually Zyori posting and every other account that is, you know, Zyori porn, Zyori on drugs, all these ridiculously generated defamatory things. That are, are now verified, right, by the way. Are, are, yeah, exactly. I have a blue check mark. They're written off as noise because whatever, it's only the stuff that's in this new verified system. And that's where, like, you know, not to get too technical, but like the ZK roll-up technology in Web3 yeah. gets really fascinating. That's like, you know, being able to verify somebody's, hey, I can verify that you're over 21 without the person that needs the verification knowing anything about your identity. They just get the green light that says, hey, this person's been verified. And that system has some, you know, decentralization so that your identity is protected. But we also have some form of like, you are, we know you are who you say you are in these anonymous decentralized systems. Um, that's what gets I'm me so excited. I'm excited you know? to see the applications of these technologies develop and grow and, and they'll, they'll grow organically out of the needs. And also there's so much excitement in the industry of people trying things and experimenting and technologies growing along with supporting that demand. And, and so I am, you know, I'm on the sidelines right now watching it. And, you yeah. know, I kind of wish I had more technical knowledge to be able to just jump in. But like we said, you know, I tend to stick to things that I know and uh, make sure that I'm like watching and seeing what happens. But I, I am still fascinated and I'm excited for when it will be so easy for someone with so limited technical knowledge like me to jump in yeah. uh, and just dive in and have a lot of fun playing around with all of the, the new tools. And I think we're getting there. Like I, I, I see it evolving and Definitely. becoming more user friendly as the 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 wallets you know interfaces become more user friendly that they're able to kind of walk you through the technical aspects of the financial side of it mm -hmm. um, in a way that makes sense to people who don't understand the underlying uh you know aspects of it dude what i always tell people such as yourself when they we get to this point in the conversation is like Buy 100 bucks worth of Ethereum on Coinbase, send it to a MetaMask wallet, and just start fucking around. Just go go, mm. go buy some sushi tokens on SushiSwap and stake up. Like some, whatever amount of money you're comfortable with, where if you fuck it up and you lose it, you won't be really mad at yourself. Bridge it over to Polygon. You know, go into a few DeFi pools, send some money to your friends, spend another, just, just get some reps in and just practice. Like, yeah, dude, waste 10 bucks on transaction fees sending Ethereum to yourself and get super comfortable pressing the button. You know, the only thing I've done is I, uh, when the GameStop marketplace for NFTs launched, I got a GameStop wallet and uh, went and bought some NFTs on the GameStop market and sold some and did, did, did some uh, did some trading um, with those and had a lot of fun doing it. You yeah, know, it was like just dip your toes in. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah, but you know, I didn't. You know, it it was a great way to just kind of like oh, just kind of get a sense of how. Yeah. how it all works it's like ease into it and then that way when the next bull comes or you see that moment or like the the rick and morty nft collection drops and you're like shit i yeah. have to buy this then you're not stressing about like oh my god i don't even know where to start you've at least right. got this basis of okay I, this isn't totally foreign to me and then it, it kind of primes you to dive in a little bit but you know I'm, I'm not here to sell you on web3 more just uh you know i 
it's not as scary as it seems as someone who was saying the exact same things you are now a few years ago and is now like a full-time Web3 person. Web3 is ready for you, Dan. You're right. We need Once you. I did that initial <laughs> uh, baseline of just kind of messing around, it just, it did, okay. It's not quite as yeah. technically complicated as I imagined. Yeah, definitely. Um, but dude- And this, it was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Exactly. Um, but Dan, this was a fantastic conversation, Matt. I've really enjoyed getting to pick your this brain. So a little much bit. fun. You're, you're such a, a candid guy. Um, the one little tag, one little note in in my research that came up that we didn't really talk about. Um, you did voice acting for Rick and Morty. I like. I almost had to do a double take when I saw that on your IMDb. Not because I was like surprised, more just like Rick and Morty is that's a badass show. Like everyone I know has heard of Rick and Morty. You were you're the voice of Ethan, right? That's uh, is, is Summer. What yeah. the hell, dude? There, like madness. So you did three episodes though. Like what, what was that like? I mean, is that, did that feel like a, a level up in the career? Uh, the, Cause that was one of the, the last gigs that you did in terms of acting, right? I think it was one of yeah, the more that recent was entries. By far the biggest, most exciting role that I ever got from me personally, because I was already a huge fan of Rick and Morty mm. when I got that opportunity. And I got that opportunity because the casting directors on Wizards of Waverly Place also happen to be the cast directors for Rick and Morty. So uh, the Ruth and Robert uh, are the casting directors, and I owe everything I've ever done of value in the acting world to those two who kept uh, pitching me and pushing me out there and, and giving me opportunities to audition for all of these amazing projects. Um, it's so weird how those two people helped shape my entire life. I, I every time I go and do an interview, I kind of bring them up to just say thank you because it it means so much to have those kind of people in the industry that that really get to know who you are and start to trust in your ability to go and do a job well. Mm -hmm. In everyone's careers, you have to have those kinds of people yeah. that that back you up, that that kind of help you. Nobody makes it alone, dude. Almost it's, nobody, yeah. I guess. It, it's it, it's always a network of other people. And like, you work hard, you earn it. It's it's a matter of perseverance, but you're lying to yourself if you think that there's nobody out there that's that's helped you out or had your back or put you forward, even if you don't see it. Like, I learned yeah. that a little bit late in my career of like, oh, this is what networking is all about. Like being in the front of people's minds and actually getting to know people. And then it, it's... It's so important. Go make friends. And then, be a and pleasure then looking to work for opportunities with. to be that for other yeah. people yeah. Uh, is also Give the back, way that that, right? that comes around, right? Uh, but yeah, I booked um, a small part as Summer's annoying boyfriend, which is, you know, looking back, I played Harper's annoying boyfriend <laughs> in Wizards of Waverly Place and Summer's annoying boyfriend in Rick and Morty. And I'm like questioning my entire life. You're typecast, dude. Uh-oh. Damn it, dude. <laughs> I'm not that annoying, right? Dang it. Um, no, but it, it was so much fun. And, and recording voiceover is just like the best job in the world. You you go in and you record an entire episode worth of voice lines in, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours. Um, Snappy. And basically, you're in a booth. And then, you know, I, I, Justin Rowland was directing and on the other side and just kind of giving me notes. Um, but wow. yeah, we just, you know, which I was a little bit disappointed because the way that they record voiceover in Japan for anime is they have all the voice actors together in a room oh. and they're recording uh, live together. 
which really? I think is by far the better way to do it. I don't know why in America we've decided that our voiceover actors should be alone in a booth recording their lines in a void. Like to me, that if coming directly from the acting world, it seems like such a missed opportunity to to get those amazing live connections and back and forths. Yeah. Um, I see what it, you mean. It almost feels like it makes it harder where you have to do all this extra work to get it to sound natural. And it's like, you know, maybe yeah. we could just do this naturally and then still splice it up and it would just be... I didn't realize that was how they recorded most anime in Japan. That's really fascinating, actually. Yeah, I saw lots of recordings of it and I was like, oh my gosh, why are we doing it? The, that's so much better. What are we doing? Why do we always do it the hard way? What? <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, that's uh, I've always been fascinated with voice acting. I, I've I've only done like little bits of amateur voiceovers as requested, but it is weirdly satisfying. And at least for me personally, when I hear it back with all the like the effects and stuff, it's like, whoa, man, you guys really I, I got an OK voice, but you really made me sound sound good. Yeah, you got I, an amazing voice. Y'all cleaned um, it up well. It's yeah. Very distinct. Very interesting. Yeah, I don't know where you it came do from. absolutely fantastic in voiceover. Yeah, I, I really don't know where it came from. I just just years and years of practice, bashing your head against the wall. I guess eventually you figure out how to talk good. It's uh, I don't and know. also there's just some natural, you know, those vocal cords that you have are just a magic combination, right? Yeah, that's I I think sometimes I can almost pass as a woman until I open my mouth and I have just such <laughs> a distinctly like deep male voice. It happens at, at least like once a month or so where somebody is like. You know, at a register and they're not really looking up and they just sort of assume like ma'am and then I say something and they go they like jump a little bit and they're like oh oh okay woo all right no, that's all good man you just a little surprised me there you know and it, <laughs> I, it always makes me just laugh a little bit because I I get it totally I have a there's just a juxtaposition there and it's it's all good it is what it is but it just makes me laugh when it catches people off guard oh man and I, I my voice gets really high if I'm if I'm just like not careful like it's just my natural inclination, but I, I get self-conscious about my high voice and I'm, I'm always like <laughs> trying to keep it something. down here and yeah, right. calm down. But as I get more excited, I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. let's do this. I know what you mean. That's uh, when you go back and watch yourself, that's really how you learn, learn about your tics that, Oh gosh, I wish I did. Usually when I'm trying to talk to a cute girl, right. Is when I get yeah. excited and I'm like, why am I, why is my voice up here? I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm not usually like this. I'm getting a character again. It's happening naturally. Oh, man. All right. Well, Dan, I got to get out of here. Uh, I got some appointments this afternoon, but this was seriously a pleasure. Um, so excited for our future conversations. If you ever want to de dive deeper into Web3, you know where to find me. It would be a pleasure to uh, take you down the rabbit hole and you know open up those doors for you a little bit. Definitely wish you uh, the best of luck with your OnlyFans content and everything else you have going on. Um, you lead a very, very exciting life, and it was a pleasure get to just get to dig in a little bit and, and thank you for for opening up. You know, this is the kind of shit that I live for. So just really appreciate that you could make some time for me, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, and congratulations on the new job. Thank I you. I hope it goes well. I'm excited to Oof. see uh, how that goes. Yeah, and I'm very excited as well. Exciting stuff uh, in my world. You know, two years at Axie, now now jumping into unicorns. It's uh, 
it's going to be a hell of a journey. I'm, I'm super excited for it. Um, but to close this out, maybe hit us with some plugs. Like, where can people find you? I know your Twitter's been popping off. Um, give us a plug on the OnlyFans. I've got a couple of gay followers in my, uh, my repertoire here, so you never know. We might have a couple interested suitors that want to check it out. I think it's worth a plug. Oh, thank you so much. Well, yeah, uh, head on over my Twitter at underscore Dan Benson. Honestly, everything you could possibly need to find will be there. So uh, you just head to my Twitter and then just be careful when you're going through replies or if you're into that kind of thing, dive into those replies and you you might be pleasantly surprised with what you find. Um, But you've been warned. Yeah. Very active community over there. Uh, Very active community. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. I appreciate the engagement. All right, folks. Well, that'll do it. Uh, it's another Zyori Plus One complete. Uh, my goal moving forward is to do one of these per quarter. I want to try to do four good podcasts a year with you know curated guests, quality over quantity. I don't want to feel pressure to do this like weekly podcast thing, but I think it's worth it to be able to dive in with you know diverse folks, people that are doing cool things that are also Dota fans. It's it's wild how big that Dota network is. So um, anyway, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a good one. And uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. Take care.